to welcome all of you today. I'm glad you're with us for another week in our series that we're calling Supernatural. It's a series about the unseen world. And over the past couple of months, what we've done is looked at what the Bible says about the unseen world, about, um, about uh, the supernatural world of angels and demons and Satan and how it is that evil actually does oppose and attack you, but that God fights for us and equips us then to fight against evil, and that's an active thing that we get to do as followers of Jesus. It's not a passive thing. Uh, last week, then, we changed gears a little bit in our series, and uh, Gary Kinneman was our, our guest speaker. He spoke on the Holy Spirit, and if you missed that, it was very, very good. I'd encourage you to check out our podcast or go to the Facebook page and watch last week's message. And today, I want to continue in that vein, and we'll do that for at least a couple more weeks but we want to talk about the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit and how it is that God wants to, through the Holy Spirit, empower the lives of the followers of Jesus so that we can live a supernatural life. Supernatural life. In fact, uh, naturally supernatural is, is a great phrase that I believe it was John Wimber first used, but it's a beautiful picture of how it's just normal to operate in some of these ways if we're a follower of Jesus, living filled with the Spirit. Now, because we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I just have to tell you, for me, uh, when I was a real little kid, uh, my parents had actually uh, switched churches, went from a Catholic church to a Pentecostal church. Talk about a big change, right? Any of you that are familiar, right? Um, and in the church that we started going to, when we talked about, you know, the Trinity, um, you, you, you have, uh, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and we didn't call it the Holy Spirit, uh, we called it the Holy Ghost. Anybody, right? Holy Ghost, which freaked me out, right? Maybe because I watched way too much Scooby-Doo as a kid, I'm not sure what it was. And I understood, you know, Father, right, because I had a dad, and I understood Son, because like Jesus, yeah, they tell us about Jesus in Sunday school, but this Holy Ghost thing was super spooky for me, right? Kind of scared me. Um, it was kind of like, you know, the, that thing that I was afraid of that, that lived under my bed. I don't know if any of you had this when you were a kid, right? But uh, in my mind, when I went to bed and the lights were out at night, I was afraid that there was something under my bed. Uh, and when I was real little, probably four or five, I shared an uh, upstairs really big bedroom with my brother. problem is our beds were on one side of the room. feels like it was this big, but it wasn't, but you know. One side of the room were our beds. All the way on the other side of the room was the light switch. And so um, um, guess who had to turn off the light every night? Right, me. Yeah, little brother had to do it. He made me do it. My parents would be like, all right, boys, time to go to sleep. Turn off the lights. And I'd stall a little bit, hoping that maybe this would be the night he would turn off the light. No, no, he waited until the second or third call of, <clears throat> hey, guys, turn off the lights. You know that voice that you get before you get in trouble? Was that only my house? No, okay. We had that voice at our house. So he just knew that I would cave, so I would do it. And I would get over by the light switch, and I would eyeball it from the switch to my bed. And I'd kind of, how many steps is it going to take? And then where do I jump and fly? Because why would I jump into the bed? Right, so the thing didn't get me from underneath. Right, exactly. It's, you had to jump and try to fool it, right? So I'd flip off the light, and I'd go tearing across the room, and I would jump and time it and sail into the air so that, of course, the thing didn't grab my legs and whew, I'd make it into bed. 
Um, and I know that's weird, okay? Totally weird, right? Anybody else have something like that living under your bed back then? Now? How about right now? Anybody? No, that's okay. You don't have to confess that right now. Bruce, yeah, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> I won't repeat that in case uh, that gets back on the feed. Yes, Jim. <laughs> I've got your back, though. Um, yeah, it was weird. So when it came to ghosts, like, no, thank you. Ghosts? No way. Um, and I was real thankful when, when translations of the Bible, other than the King James Version, um, became common, because then it was less saying, you know, Holy Ghost and more Holy Spirit, better translation, more um, true to our understanding of the vernacular. It was good, but we were in that Pentecostal thing, and some of those older folks, man, it was, it was the Holy Ghost, right? Um, but I did learn more things about Holy Spirit. And, and while I would say that uh, Holy Spirit is still mysterious to me, this is no longer a topic that really makes me nervous. But I'm guessing that it might make some of you nervous because, well, because of a lot of reasons, right? <laughs> um, in fact, if you were to think of a few reasons why it might make you nervous, or if you're not nervous, maybe somebody around you nervous, oftentimes what I have heard from folks is that Holy Spirit topic makes them nervous, oftentimes because they've seen somebody do it weird, right? I've seen somebody do it really weird, really odd, and, and you see it and just go, oh man, that's really embarrassing, or that's really weird, or what are they doing? Why? Ah, right? So because of that, people go, I don't want that. So they kind of back away. Okay, no Holy Spirit for me, which is a bummer because it just takes us completely out of like a healthy zone for it, which we'll talk about in an upcoming week. Um, other times, and this maybe is still in the weird zone, I know that, that maybe somebody has uh, been around some folks, usually well-intentioned, but there's kind of this either spoken or unspoken requirements that if you are a serious follower of Christ, then you will exhibit and display these gifts of the Spirit. Has anybody ever been around somebody like that? I grew up in a denomination that had a very distinctive one of those. Anybody guess what that one thing that every real Christian should do is? Tongues. Yes, that was the one, right? And again, I believe in speaking in tongues, and we can do a whole message about about that, but, but because of the abuses of that, again, people go, well, I ain't that, right? I'm going to back away from, from all of it, all of it. Um, and another reason might be that we're just, you know, in our culture especially, not used to seeing it, so Holy Spirit stuff just makes us nervous. And, and I get it, you guys. I totally get that nervousness around the things of the Spirit. I really do. And we will talk again more in the upcoming weeks about the gifts of the Spirit, and really send me any questions that you think would be good to have answered you know, in a larger context. Just shoot me an email. But I want to start with this reminder of why the Holy Spirit is so important to us. In fact, for us to be in a relationship with God that doesn't, you know, hey, we relate to God as Father and God as Holy Spirit, uh, God as Son, right? We relate to the Father, the Son, or just broadly God, but man, that Holy Spirit thing is just weird, too weird, I'm staying out of that zone. We're missing a whole big part of what God offers and intends of who he is to us. Um, and so the being in a relationship with God that is more holistic means that we need to actively engage and explore this realm of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's crucial, actually really crucial, or at least Jesus thought it was crucial, because in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus is speaking, 
And he makes one of the most staggering statements he has ever made. In verse 7, Jesus says this to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, we'll read that in another translation in a second here, but when Jesus says this here in John 16, it's better for you that I go away, um, he's He's not saying like, hey, I'm leaving, but it's better this way to just make sure his disciples don't get sad or get angry. He actually means it. Like they're kind of shocked, like what could be better than Jesus being right here with us in the flesh? Um, he says that, in fact, another, another translation says it this way, verse 7 again. In fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, notice it's capitalized, um, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, the advocate, the translation for that word there in the Greek is paraclete, paraclete. And so the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our counselor, our encourager, our comforter. That's, those are words used to describe Holy Spirit and how God's, that aspect of God's nature um, relates to us. And so Jesus, again, he knows, and he's telling his disciples, well, I'm physically here on earth. You know, he could only be one place at a time, right? But he's saying that the Holy Spirit can be at all places, at all times, and that he is sending Holy Spirit to live in every believer. Every believer. Um, so even in this verse, like, it's just kind of mind-blowing that Jesus is actually saying that it's better to live in the era of the Spirit, which was after he went to, uh, back to heaven. It's better to live in the era of Spirit, which is now, than it would have been to live in the days when Jesus was here in the flesh on earth. And I know that I would much rather see Jesus in the flesh, right? I'm like, I would think that would be amazing. But according to Jesus, if I'm going to trust him, um, Jesus is saying that because of Holy Spirit, you have the advantage over people who were able to look Jesus straight in the face, eye to eye, and hear his voice speak. We actually, according to Jesus, there's an advantage to being here now because of the era of the Spirit. Now, why would that be an advantage? Why would it be an advantage for us to live now in the era of the Spirit? Well, if you turn to Acts chapter 1, Jesus makes another important statement about Holy Spirit here. And just set the scene here. Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, he's about to return to his father to ascend back to heaven. And he's talking to his disciples, you know, physically for what will be the last time face to face. And he says this in Acts 1 verse 4. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. See that? The gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I do hope to get to that subject more in depth, being baptized with the Holy Spirit in future weeks because, you know, there's lots of questions around it. But verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by, set by his own authority, but you, catch this, you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Which again, if you're the disciples who have just recently failed and rejected and denied knowing Jesus or run away and hid when he was on trial and then crucified, if you have just failed miserably like a month and a half ago, right? Five weeks ago, this is what you did. And Jesus is saying, but you guys are gonna go to the ends of the earth and spread my name. How in the world will these failures be able to do that? How will they be able to go not just to their own city, but to all the world and make disciples? That's kind of a big job. You know, if I was a disciple, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, don't you remember how we just blew it? Maybe we need like a, a big do-over. Can you just hang around for another 10 or 20 years and see if we get it, right? How are they going to be witnesses, not just even here where they were afraid, but to the ends of the earth? Jesus says, well, you will receive power. You will receive power. And if you are somebody who writes in your Bible or underlines stuff, circle that word right there, power. Because with the coming of the Holy Spirit, if there was one word that would be associated with the Holy Spirit's ministry and activity amongst you and I, it's the word power. Now, the Greek word for power is dunamis. The word they use right there is dunamis, which is like a dynamo. So it's not just like a little bit of power. It's, it's amazing power. And it's important to remember this. When the Bible uses that word power, dunamis, the Bible's never referring to our own strength, our own power, our own ability. It's always about the power of the Holy Spirit operating through us, right? It's not just power that we muster up. It's the power of the Spirit through us. Now look at uh, Acts 1-7 again. Again, notice Jesus doesn't say, well, how will you do this thing I'm calling you to do, to be witnesses everywhere? How will you do it? Well, you'll receive further instructions or additional doctrinal information or a do-it-yourself church starter kit, right? He doesn't say any of that. He knew the reason he had to go away is so that they could be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he was calling them and us, the people of God, to do to go, to love, to serve, to reach our entire world, to, to bring the kingdom of God in operation to this world right around us, to see things restored and all things made new. And he was calling them and us to do it, not by their own strengths, not by their own gifts, not their own striving harder to make it happen, which for them and for us is good news because they had already fallen short and blown it, and so have you and I. See, when the Holy Spirit becomes your only option and you have no other option but to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit that's being sent, you might be eager to see it happen, right? We might really depend on it. And I think Jesus is saying here, hey guys, you think these last three years you've been with me have been something you haven't seen anything yet? Fasten your seatbelts. You're gonna do greater things than I did. Holy Spirit is coming and when that happens, you're gonna receive power the power of the Holy Spirit, and, spoiler alert, that's exactly what happened. In fact, I would encourage you this week to read through Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, and imagine yourself in the disciples' shoes while this whole story was going down. Just do that this week. Um, because I would think when Jesus says, you're going to receive power, wait here, and then shroom, he ascends back to heaven, they've got to be scratching their heads going, well, how are we going to know when we receive power? Like, how are we gonna know when this Holy Spirit deal happens, right? What if we miss it? Or like, what if it happens and we just don't notice? But good news, there was no need to worry. Acts chapter two says this. 
Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, which is languages, as the Spirit enabled them. And again, can you imagine that scene? Like, oh, here's all the disciples, probably a little fearful, gathering behind locked doors, kind of waiting and praying, and every day like Jesus told them to do since he had left. And then out of nowhere, whoom, this dynamo comes along. And instead of it being this empowering wind outside the house, it's inside the house. And while this wind is blowing on the inside of the house, something like spontaneous flames just enter the room and separate and become little tongues of fire on everybody's head. That'd be mind-blowing right there, right? I mean, just picture in the room if that happened. We would maybe sort of freak out a little, maybe. I would freak out a little, you know. Somebody grab the fire extinguisher, we got a problem. Okay, not you guys, all right. Um, But while this, it's, and, and instead of being burned by this fire as it's on their head, suddenly all this commotion goes on and they start speaking in other languages. And then they go outside and a crowd starts to gather around and the people who gather are from all these different countries and languages and they're amazed by what they hear. It's like the disciples have like, had a crash course Rosetta Stone thing that happened in moments because suddenly they're able to speak in languages and the people who knew the languages could actually understand them no matter where they were from. Right? So, so the disciples are speaking Egyptian because there's people from Egypt there. The, they're speaking Greek because citizens of Greece are there. They speak Irish because, well, that's the Holy Spirit's original language. So, <laughs> Just saying. <clears throat> but I wonder if, if the disciples, even while all this commotion is going on, this indoor windstorm, the fire coming down on each of their heads, people speaking in languages they've never heard before. I wonder if they kind of look at each other and they're thinking, oh, oh, maybe this is that Holy Spirit thing that Jesus was talking about, right? Oh, this is it, right? This is it. Jesus said, you'll receive power. And these disciples who had been hiding in fear behind locked doors got exactly that. They got power to proclaim the gospel, to demonstrate the kingdom of God, to proclaim God's love and redemption for the entire world. And that same power that they experienced is the power that you and I, followers of Jesus, we desperately need as well. We need it if you and I are going to partner with God, bring the kingdom of God, see dead people come to life. If we're going to see that kind of stuff happen, if we're going to see spiritual eyes that are blind see, if we're going to see physical healing where people are blind and then they see, if we're going to see hearts healed, we are going to need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and we're going to need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's just, for a moment, I won't go deep into it, but I just want to touch on what are the gifts of the Spirit. So let's read what some of the gifts are. Gifts of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 7 says, a spiritual, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. That'd be the gift of wisdom. To another, the same Spirit gives the message of special Knowledge, otherwise known as words of knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else, though, 
the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown tongues, while another is given the ability to interpret what is said. It is the one and only Spirit, verse 11 says, the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. And again, without getting too deeply into each one of those gifts, I think it's amazing that we, we need to remember this. All of those gifts that I just list, listed there, some of them make us nervous, right? I know, I've seen all of these operated in, and they still make me nervous. <laughs> but I want to remember this, and I want us to remember these are all gifts that God gives. They're gifts. And we know that our Father God gives only good gifts. Like if somebody was going to give you a gift, why wouldn't you want it? Especially if it was a good gift, right? Like imagine somebody takes your, your, your favorite um, vehicle, favorite car that you could ever want or drive and just walks up and says, here you go, it's a gift. But, but some of us would go, nah, no, 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 thanks. There's got to be a string attached, right? Um, but it's a gift. If there's no string attached, why wouldn't we receive a gift, especially one that would actually help us? Why wouldn't we receive that gift? I mean, you know, some of us, um, you know, maybe you don't get great gifts for Christmas. Maybe, you know, like your gift every year is a five-pack of underwear, right? Is that? <laughs> but even that is a gift, right? Right? I suppose you can keep wearing those tidy whiteies with holes in them, but there's a new five-pack sitting right there, right? Why wouldn't you do it, right? It's a gift. Just, just open yourself up to receive the gift. See, gifts are a good thing. And maybe receiving a gift that someone gives you is optional. And God doesn't force these gifts on us. But why wouldn't we want to... Explore. Why would we? Why wouldn't we? Um, why would we miss out? Why would we want to miss out on what is given freely to us, available to us? Because the gifts that God gives to you and I will deepen and enrich in our lives. In fact, it's not just our lives that get enriched because we are a community, the body of Christ. You are given a gift in order to benefit the whole body, not just so you have some special thing to do. Gifts are to benefit the whole body of Christ. And so what if we all ask for gifts of the spirit that God has? God, the gift of tongues or interpretation. God, give us the gift of prophecy, discernment, words of knowledge and wisdom, faith, healing, and miracles. I mean, just think of this. I'll just pick a random one. Um, if God gave you the gift of prophecy, how might that impact your life? Or the gift of faith or or healing, or miracles, tongues, interpretation, discernment, wisdom. How would your life change if one of those gifts was in operation in your life? But again, remember, this is not just for you to feel better about you. Um, God gave us these gifts to build up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says, you want the gifts of the Spirit? Okay, so try to do your best in using gifts that build up the church. Use the gifts to build up the church. And so just imagine in our church community in this season, especially as we're moving forward, how would the life of our church change if all the gifts of the Spirit were in operation here at Hope? 
tongues, interpretation, prophecy, discernment, words of knowledge and wisdom, faith, healing, and miracles. And that, by the way, doesn't mean that that's like the forum for that is on Sunday morning where all those things take place. Maybe in some places, but generally people were gathered together in small enough clusters that they could learn together, that they could um, encourage one another in the smaller groups that they were in where they just opened up and that kind of freedom took place naturally, supernatural. So these gifts are good things, friends. They're supposed to help us and strengthen us as a church family. And I do want to go a little bit more into them in future weeks, but I have two things that I want to um, say in less than 10 minutes here. Two things about the Spirit that I think would be helpful for us as we um, wrap up today. Kind of two pieces of, of pieces of advice when it comes to being open to the Spirit in our lives. You guys ready for this? You ready for this? Ready? All right, first one is this. Whatever you do, don't resist or quench the spirit. Don't resist the direction um, or the voice of, of Holy Spirit. Now, how could we resist Holy Spirit? Well, those of you who are followers of Jesus, you've probably had a time in your life where you somehow know that the Spirit is prompting you. God, God is prompting you. Maybe Holy Spirit's kind of nudging you or speaking to you. You can't always explain it, but you just maybe even sense like, oh, I think God wants me to do this. I think God's prompting me, moving me to do that. Um, there's all things, sorts of things to learn along with that, but... but but when that happens, and you do believe it's God that's kind of nudging or prompting you, and a lot of times it's kind of out of nowhere-ish, at that moment, when we sense God speaking to us, we have a choice. We can either obey the prompting of the Spirit and do what he says, or you can say, eh, that probably wasn't God, or nah, I hear it, but I'm not doing it anyway, right? We have a choice. We say yes, we say no. And I've learned this lesson from doing it right and saying yes and doing it wrong from messing it up. Here's the lesson, don't resist the Holy Spirit. In fact, interesting here, when, when Stephen, in the book of Acts, a disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus, was giving his famous speech before he was going to be killed um, by being stoned by these religious leaders, he starts going off on them, right? Acts 7.51, Stephen says to the religious leaders, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. Um, he hasn't read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People Yet. Just saying, you can see why they stoned him. <clears throat> he says, you always what? Read the phrase aloud with me. You always what? Resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Not a good thing. Think of it this way. My wife, Heidi, back there running slides this week. Yay, yay. <laughs> Heidi's the best wife on the planet. Um, but, you know, she just... <laughs> Honestly, we'll be honest, confessional here. I got her permission to share this. Uh, but she just won't leave me alone. Like, she is always, like, kissing me, making moves, like, all the time, right? All the time, every day. I mean, I walk in the door. It's like, whoa, 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 every, every day. You know, wives, they only think about one thing, right, guys? <clears throat> all right, all right. So we all know how the over, overactive imagination of a husband can work. I showed you that right there, right? But, but just imagine with me. If this was this way, just for the sake of sermon illustrations, right? Um, just maybe God will give you the gift of spiritual imagination just for the illustration here, okay? Work with me. All right, so, so um, just imagine that she's just always trying to hug me and kiss me and be affectionate. And what if every day I just resisted her, day after day after day? 
day after day after day. What do you think she'd eventually do? Yeah, she'd quit trying. She'd stop, which, you know, would be a horrible thing, right? But she would stop. And I think the correlation is this. If you continue to resist the Holy Spirit, you could actually hurt his feelings. Did you know that? You could hurt Holy Spirit's feelings, I'll put it that way. Scripture actually says you could grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, Paul tells the church, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, do not quench the Spirit. Like you can actually quench the Holy Spirit, it, like pouring water on top of a fire. Maybe the fire of the Spirit is burning or inviting us or wanting to warm us or change us or burn some things away that need to change or bring some sort of impact, but we can quench the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we quench the Holy Spirit by needing to control everything that is happening rather than to recognize when the Holy Spirit's at work or moving, take a breath, step back, and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does. But, but if we resist the Holy Spirit long enough, over and over, we resist, we quench, we resist, and we quench. One day, you might wake up and be like, how come I'm not sensing the Holy Spirit anymore? And it's often because we've resisted him, and we've just pushed, it, pushed him away. So that was number one there. Do not resist or quench the Holy Spirit of God. The second thing is this. Whatever you do, be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says it this way. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, here's a fun King Jamesy word, debauchery. Instead, be what? Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. Um, I got thinking about this when Gary last week, in the second service only, I think it was, mentioned uh, wine and, and, and alcohol. But think about this. When, when you drink enough alcohol, um, what does it do? Kind of makes you weird. <laughs> it can, right? Depending on how much you drink alcohol, uh, alcohol you drink, it can make you weird. It might make you do things that you normally wouldn't do. It might even eventually kind of take control away from you, and it can become addictive, and Paul is saying here, don't let some substance control you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God so that the Spirit of God is what drives and directs you. Don't be dependent on a substance. Become dependent on the Spirit. And by the way, this isn't a verse that says, don't ever drink alcohol, right? Alcohol is not like, it's, drinking alcohol is not against, you know, anything the Bible says unless you discover that alcohol has taken over your life, then don't, right? If you realize, oh no, I've given too much power to that, then don't, right? Some of you are in recovery, so don't, right? Um, because becoming dependent on any substance to medicate ourselves, it only leads to, it doesn't lead to freedom, it leads to, to bondage. But if you've ever had, the rest of us and all of us, really, if you've ever had an experience where something just sort of relaxes your defenses, um, or relaxes your need to control um, that way. That's how we would say, there you go, that's way. Be, be filled so that you maybe take down your defenses a little bit in a way that you can hear from the Holy Spirit. So that he'll lead you and guide you and correct you and convict you. So that Holy Spirit can empower you to live in love like Jesus. See, because unlike 
alcohol or substances that we can become dependent on, being filled with the Spirit doesn't lead to bondage or slavery. It leads to incredible freedom. See, filled with the Spirit means that we are free to love other people, to serve other people. We are free to sacrificially love the folks around us. We can take risks in showing mercy and kindness and generosity. So be filled with the Spirit like that. So, so that when you're just walking along, maybe you'll sense God saying, hey, you know what, psst, psst, Doug, do this. Or, oh, oh, hey, do that. Or pay attention to this. Or reach out there. Or say something kind to that person. Or, or try to help that person. Just God helps us pay attention when we're filled with the Spirit. And, and friends, be filled so, so much with the power of the Spirit that it becomes normal to walk simply in step with God in everyday moments of our lives. We're full of the Spirit every moment of our life, and it leads to freedom, right? See, the, the times in my life that, I are, that I've been most filled with freedom is when I've been walking with and filled with the Spirit in some amazing ways. Um, I, um, yeah, I don't really, the second service will get a better version of this story, so maybe we'll put that podcast up, but I'll give you guys the quick one. Um, I uh, volunteered for a year and a half in a sex offender prison, maximum security, because uh, it's funny, nobody wants to volunteer in that prison, right? So, <laughs> and I helped out the chaplain, and I was like right away just kind of in over my head. I didn't, you know, my training was like this much, and how do you prepare for all that? And it didn't matter how much preparation I had done. It was pretty, uh, pretty wild and overwhelming. Um, but walking in the power of the Spirit, a couple things happened. One, um, I was able to have that discernment thing work um, and sometimes be able to name, and as we've talked about in other messages, do spiritual warfare about specific spirits that I was sensing that were operating uh, at the prison and the place that I was, and be able to cut that stuff off and just pray against it and walk in there and do my thing and leave and be okay. When I didn't do that, I would come out and it would take days to recover because the emotional and spiritual junk was so heavy. So until being filled with the Spirit and being able to see that stuff in action, it changed things. And it also helped because you never know when you're dealing with somebody in a prison what story you're getting, if it's the real story or not the real story. But when the Holy Spirit would speak and tell me what to pray, what to say, how to minister to somebody, it was amazing how quickly it would just cut to the core and be what that guy needed in that moment. It's just one example of, of being able to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit where you don't have any other options but to be filled with the Spirit and love and serve people. And that was so freeing to me in a prison of all places. It was freeing to me just walking with the Spirit in that way. As the worship team comes, I um, just want to remind us that it is possible, friends, to walk in the power of the Spirit, that, that dunamis dynamo power that we've been talking about. And I just have to ask, if that is possible today, and I believe it is, why wouldn't we want it? Why wouldn't we want the gifts that Holy Spirit gives? See, if it's possible to speak a word of wisdom to someone or a word of knowledge, why wouldn't we want that today? If it's possible to see someone healed, why wouldn't we want that? If it was possible to have people speak in tongues and pray in tongues and give messages in tongues in our small groups and have an interpretation of that message in tongues, 
Why wouldn't we want it? Why wouldn't we want that? See, Holy Spirit intends for the operation of the gifts to encourage and build up the church. So why wouldn't we want to have gifts that encourage and build us up as a church? See, that's what God intended for the gifts to build us up, to edify, to bless, to enrich the body of Christ, to strengthen us, to love and serve the world around us. And so why wouldn't we want that, friends? See, wanting it simply comes from a posture of saying, Holy Spirit, come. You are welcome here. Holy Spirit, come. And so we'll pick this message series up next week. We're out of time today, but here's my question, um, even as we sing, and a question to bring with you. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, the power of God that's available to you, when it comes even to the gifts that maybe God would like to give to you, do you want it? Do you want it? And are you willing to, as scripture encourages us, are you willing to seek it? As we sing together, inviting the spirit of God to to manifest, to show up in ways that we can maybe even feel and experience. And with these words as a prayer from the depths of our heart, I pray. Holy Spirit, come, we invite you.